Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast where experts share valuable insights, answer questions, and tell some real-world stories that'll get you thinking about how you can tweak your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. Today, September 23rd, 2020, which is exactly six months and one day from when New York hit the pause for a pandemic button back in March, we travel through the fiber optic to the land of patriots and red footwear, as in Red Sox. Yes, the beautiful New England state of Massachusetts, where the accent is as lovely as it is here in New York City. So, without further ado, here's yours truly, Bill Widener. And this episode's guest, Rick Kaplan, the media director at the New England and New York Real Estate Journals. Thanks for being here today, Rick, for me and the Real Estate Speak audience. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. Yeah, I really appreciate that intro. It's uh, a great that you can even throw the Red Sox name in there. We we do appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't want to, but, you know... <laughs> I just, I felt like I was kind of obligated because you decided to do this today. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so Realty Speak listeners, I know there's been a little more time in between each of the last few episodes and there's a reason for that. My brother and I founded a new startup here in New York City and we've been working around the clock to get that going. Now it's up and running. So expect the episodes to roll out normally again. And thanks for being patient. I'll share more about the startup with you later in the episode. To prepare for today's episode, I googled how big is the real estate industry. And what I found out, as if I didn't already know, is that the real estate industry is pretty, pretty big. The search result from November 2019 indicated that according to federal statistics, the real estate industry contributed more than $2.7 trillion to the U.S. economy in 2018, or about 13% of GDP. It employed more than 2 million people and generated more than $10 billion in corporate profits. And today, Rick and I are going to talk about an ancillary industry opportunity of immense proportion that taps into some of that. Real estate journalism. My first question is a big question, Rick. In 1963, 57 years ago, when the founder of the New England Real Estate Journal, Roland Hopkins, who, by the way, also authors murder mystery novels, decided to start up the journal, what was his vision? First, Bill, I want to congratulate you and your brother for starting up your new venture. Oh, thank you. Going back to when Roly Hopkins started this in 1963, his vision was that commercial real estate was just starting to make a way into the marketplace. Uh, the skyscrapers starting to go up, especially in the Boston market. No one was really putting out that news and Roly thought there'd be a great time to put out a, a, a newspaper that would just strictly talk about commercial real estate. And his vision was uh, not to go 60, almost 60 years uh, with this, but his vision at that time was just to get that news out. Uh, and it became a weekly newspaper. And then it just blew up from there. You know, as everyone knows that's in the industry, from that point on, Commercial real estate has just been a boom, especially in the Northeast. And, you know, it is, there's enough news to go out. At, at one point, the New England Real Estate Journal was being published twice a week. So there was so much news and so much content that there was definitely that need at the time. And over years, there have been additional 
newspapers that have come out. It's been magazines. But New England Real Estate Journal and the New York Real Estate Journal, they have still advertisers and people that write articles that have been doing it since 1963. And then the New York Real Estate Journal came along in 1989. Wasn't the New England Real Estate Journal enough? I mean, he's writing murder mystery novels, and he's got the New England Real Estate Journal, and now he wants the New York Real Estate Journal? What happened there? Rowley has always been a visionary, I should say, a very good-natured person. Personally, I've been friendly with him for about 30 years. He's always tried to bring quality people to work for him to build another newspaper. He had people in place that he could put to start establishing that additional paper. Uh, And there was plenty of news in New York, and no one was really covering that. So Rowley said, you know, let's go and do it. He established a nice company, and he put together a nice format on how to do all of these uh, newspapers. So it was kind of an easy thing for him. Rowley has helped other people around the country establish their own commercial real estate newspapers. You know, it's not something that uh, he's, he wasn't willing to share. And he grew to the point he wanted to grow. And, you know, Rolly is now retired and living a good life and always had the vision of I'm looking to help people. When people were starting up in businesses, he would go and approach them and say, you know, we'd love you to come and advertise with us in the journal and give us articles and press releases. And we want to help you establish your business. So in times that, you know, he might have given them, I'll give you two free advertisements and, uh, you know, and, and you buy four. He would always give them more than what they would buy. It was always a benefit to them because that was his goal, to benefit them and then they would support him. That philosophy has worked very well over the years. Well, it's interesting that you share that because altruism in business is foundationally one of the aspects of great success. And if you look at great successes over the years, typically the founder and the organization and the people have always subscribed to this idea of providing value first and then doing business. And it seems like that's what Rowley has done. And I didn't even realize that he actually has helped some other publications around the country. So uh, for all my listens, which actually is spread out all over the country and all over the world, this is a really great episode because this is going to give you kind of a successful template to maybe start up something of your own in what I believe is really, in a, a like I said before, an opportunity of immense proportion because real estate is becoming so much more ubiquitous in people's minds uh, than it had been in the past. So I think there's even more of an opportunity to share real estate stories than there was before. And I always like to say real estate's never going away because real estate is where we live, work, and play. Oh, I'm a poet and I don't know it. (laughs) And we're always going to need a place to live. We're always going to need a place to work, even though right now a lot of people are working at home where they live. There's, there's, still, there's still a great, great need for people to be able to work in places that aren't where they live. And all work and no play makes Bill a dull boy, So, and I think maybe makes Rick a dull boy too, so we have to play. <laughs> so real estate will always be there. 
and there'll always be stories to tell around it. So what about you, Rick? T- tell me a little bit about you know your background and what got you into journalism. And I know before the uh, real estate journals, you uh, actually had a radio show. Well, first, I had a radio show while I was with the journal. We ran a radio, a weekly radio show. It was an hour long. We would interview one or two uh, prominent commercial real estate people, well-known in the industry in the New England area and some in New York. And we did that for about three to four years. After the third or fourth year, we went to doing networking, cocktail parties, bringing all the uh, people that would like to attend and connect. We would bring them to one place and have drinks and cocktails and have a good time and people connected. Then we started doing live panel events where we'd have a a moderator and two to three panels and maybe three to four people speaking on a panel. And that has been very successful. And we started, we built that up. We were doing them from Maine to Long Island, New York. So we we did over 20 of these events before this pandemic had hit. We did about 20 a, a year. Wow. I guess the evolution of the company has really taken a track of first just print media because there was really no computerization outside of maybe large corporations in 1963. And even in 1989, that was kind of pre-internet. I, I remember when someone came to me and like, I don't know, I think it was 1995 and said to me, this is thing, it's called the World Wide Web and it's going to take the place of the yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, I thought, silly me, right? What could possibly take place of the yellow pages, right? But with, hey, we used to dial phones with our fingers with a dial, and now we speak to our phones. So uh, right. I think I've learned over the years that technology takes over, and thank God I've embraced it since then. So tell me a little bit about that progression uh, from... Well, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, we had gone to a digital format a number of years ago, uh, so people have to do subscribe to uh, digital, and we also have the hard copy available because this has been a well-read publication for so many years uh, that some of the people, the older time, uh, older people in the industry, still like to pick up that paper. And I shouldn't say old because some of the young people also still like to pick up the paper. And people have used it almost like a trade Bible. One guy, he was a broker. He said he has a garage and he has journals filed from 1978. He had them all filed with all different stories in his garage. So whenever he would need to go and look something up, he would go in and he would look into that particular section where he had everything filed. And he'd get the story and he'd find out what he was looking for. So he used it as his uh, research lab. That's very interesting that he did that. But does he know that now he can just go to the search bar at the top of every 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 one of your web pages and put in a term? And, and if you've ever done it, it's there? You know, that's how times have changed. But, you know, some people have been in the business a long time and some people, I mean, I meet people that still don't even like to have emails sent to them you know either call me or send me a letter that's a breed that is dying off right now because everyone is going into this digital age and since this pandemic i think most people have become even more technology savvy uh in the last six months 
and it's been a forced thing as as opposed to being a progression over time you know everyone was forced to go and do zoom calling and dropbox and then, you know so every kind of format of uh technology is really being used to its full extent because of this pandemic going back to the original question how i got involved and like i told you i've been friendly with roly for 30 years i had been in the retail business i was not involved in journalism. I wasn't involved in anything like this before this. I was in uh, retail. I had uh, 20-something retail locations that were dealing with cell phones and accessories and auto security and things of that nature, electronic products. When I sold that in 2012, that's when Roley said, you know, I need someone to come in and do more with the radio, and I want to do more events. And that goes back to me saying how Roley was a visionary. He could see things, how things were progressing into that direction. That's how I started. I think your timing was pretty good there, you know, considering what Amazon has done in the last eight years. No matter what everyone says about Jeff Bezos making so much money, you know, this was an opportunity that he saw, and he he ran with it. And everyone else could have done the same thing. You know, you have companies like Sears and Roebuck. They had a similar idea, but they never ran with it. And now look where they are. Well, now they're not running at all. That's right. So what's changed for the real estate journals since the pandemic started? And, and when did that really impact all of you up there in Massachusetts? I was on vacation. I was in San Diego at the end of February. Right before I came back, you know, the news was talking about how this pandemic was hitting China and spreading throughout Europe. And we weren't hearing a lot about it in this country yet. I got back, had one of my live events that we put on in the beginning of March. And there was almost 300 people at this event. Wow. And then, then the following week, we get a, a a message from the governor that he's closing down everything. <laughs> you know, this pandemic is running wild. And, and there was a breakout from a, a, a smaller convention that was in Boston that so many people got sick from. And I'm saying, oh, my God, I just had an event with 300 people. <laughs> and now what's going to happen? Well, fortunately, no one got sick from that. Wow. That's, that's really great news. That is great news. But that was our last event, our last live event. And from that point, we had to reconfigure what what we were going to do to continue our, our model. And we're pretty smart. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that's obvious so far, but tell me a little bit about, you had this 300 person event and then the governor of Massachusetts says, I'm shutting everything down. You can't do anything like that anymore. You guys have been riding a wave of having these events and really enjoying that. And you feel like you got this great business model and a template for success. And now all of a sudden, someone just comes and cuts that off. What's it like in your offices? Or maybe at this point, you're just talking on the phone what, what are people saying to each other? Uh, how are you dealing with, we can't be broken down by this. We have to move forward. What do we do next? Wh- what are the conversations that were happening at that time? If you can share those with me. Well, at that time, you know, we, uh, 
we were trying to figure out what would happen if something like this did go go into place. So, so wait a minute. Know, so wait a minute. I'm going to stop you right there. So what was so you were already thinking because of what you were hearing globally. What should we do next if this happens? You were being proactive. Yes, we were. Yeah. All right. Because a lot of people weren't. A lot of people were just. And I'm not going to. I'll say specifically who, right? Because we don't want to get political. But some people were denying the fact that this even was going to be a problem. Right. And you guys are being proactive and saying, you know what? Just in case. Yeah. So tell me more about that. As soon as we got that word that no one can go into their offices, we don't want anyone going out shopping, you know, going to restaurants or going by. You know, when we got that word, everyone started to work from home, which we transformed pretty easily. Thank God for the internet and Zoom. We got to organize that pretty quickly. Were you already using Zoom at that time, just internally? No. So everyone had to had to uh, raise the bar and learn how to use Zoom. Right. And we do have a, an older staff because of the journal and the relationships that most of the people have had with the clients over the years. Uh, we've had a, a, a great retention rate. Uh, we have most of the employees have been there for, I would say, a lot of them 30-plus years. Wow. So we had a great retention for that. People love working for the journal, and, you know, that's I can't say enough about that. And, and that was one of the key points to making everything work because everyone was willing to work as the team to make sure the journal goes out every week we keep getting the news. We keep in touch with our clients, make sure they're all right between cell phones and forwarding calls from the office to the cell phones. Everything was back in place within hours. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Now, what about the print version? Were you still able to produce that? Yeah. And the print version was able to be printed still. And digital has been exploding since the pandemic because a lot of people were getting the newspaper sent to their office and now they're not going into the office so a lot of people switched it to the digital and the digital is the same thing you get in the in the, uh, in the paper version i noticed that on the website the way people can look at it is they're turning the pages like they would in a paper version they're just doing it on their screen or they can look through the web-based portal for all the articles and not necessarily read them as if it's a newspaper. And then they can search for things that they want to read about and find it that way. So you really provide many, many different portals to consuming the publication. But then we had our issue of our events. Now we're not going to be open on events and we don't know when that's going to open up again. So at that time we converted them the events to now are going to be webinars, which we converted to successfully. We probably lost about two months of putting on events, but just the month of September, I think I put on nine webinars. Wow. So you were doing uh, yeah. 20 a year live events, and just in the yeah. month of September, you've done nine webinars. Exactly. Right. So you can quadruple the amount of events you're doing. <laughs> And, and you probably lower the cost to almost nothing compared to, you know, renting an, uh, an event space and arranging for uh, staff to be there to help with logging everybody in and the food and the beverage. You don't have to deal with that anymore. 
you know, we were also charging about $100 to attend each of these events, which now the webinars are free. And they actually, people are kind of liking the webinars better because it's not, it's not taking much time out of their day. There's no travel to it. Uh, they can continue doing their work at their office while they're listening to a webinar. So, you know, a, a, a lot of people are taking kindly to it, <laughs> you know, so it's been, uh, it's, it, they've been working out very well. And then I also started right as soon as this pandemic started and everything was shut down. I started doing a one-on-one interview with people from all over the country, actually all over the world. I, I've done interviews with people from Texas and Florida and Israel. If you go to the New England Real Estate Journal website or the New York Real Estate Journal website, is an event with a drop-down, and you'll see videos where you can see all of the one-on-one interviews that have been done, as well as any of, uh, of our webinars that we have produced so far. And these are people that you would normally be able to interview, right? Because they're, in, you know, they're across the country, they're across the globe. Exactly. You could have done the video interview before, but really that's not what was on everyone's mind. What was on everyone's mind was a live face-to-face event, whether it be a one-on-one interview or some kind of a group event. And I'm going to share something with you, actually. When, I, when, when this first started happening in March, you know, I live in a financial district of New York City. And this place is always bustling. You know, people say, oh, isn't it quiet down there at night? Not anymore, because there's a big mix of residential and commercial. So during the day, obviously, it's busier than it is at night. But when this first happened, and I was walking around the neighborhood, I couldn't believe how there was just no one around. So I started taking photographs, and I put them on my personal Facebook page. And on March 22nd, actually, I wrote, a comment for for a series of photographs that I put up. I said, during our collective moment of pause, may we learn something we otherwise would have been distracted from. And when I wrote that, I didn't realize just how much all of us were going to learn that we otherwise would have been distracted from. So share with me some of the bright spots that you've noticed, not only with business and the journals, but personally? Well, I tell you, you know, I have a similar experience like you just mentioned. You know, I live probably about uh, about 15 miles from downtown Boston. And normally during regular work week, work hours, to drive from where I live into the city would take about an hour to an hour and a half. For 15 miles? Yeah, because of the traffic situation. As soon as the pandemic hit, I could only stay cooped up for so long. So I went out for a ride. I got in my car. I hit Boston in like 15 minutes. Might have even been less. Going through the downtown area, no cars, no one on the streets. You know, I liked it. (laughs) It was almost like I'm the only one here on the earth. (laughs) what we got to actually experience during this is something that will never be experienced again. Well, we hope. Well, we hope, right. But these places, Boston is iconic as is New York, typically are completely filled with people to the point where 
when you can't walk in a straight line down the street because you got to be dodging people all over the place that are going in 17 different directions. I used to say to people that when you're in New York and you're standing somewhere, there is 10 to 50,000 other things going on within a 200-yard radius of you. And then all of a sudden, that just completely changed to emptiness. And we've been able to experience our cities in a way that we have never been able to experience them before. And I actually find that a bright spot because we live in these cities. And it's nice to look around and know that everyone else that you're seeing on the street, out and about, is someone that lives in your city and is your neighbor. And not that I don't like tourism. I think it's fantastic. And obviously, it's needed for the economy. But the short pause has actually kind of been a nice thing. I have to agree with you, Bill. I'm a product of the the 60s. And I remember growing up in neighborhoods where everyone knew everyone. So if you ever needed anything, you could just knock on your neighbor's door and they're happy to help you. Or if your kids are out playing in the street, you know, the neighbors would be watching out for you. Uh, you know, it was a different time and it was, it was an easier time, I think. And, you know, it sort of reminded me, brought back some of my memories of that, where if you did want to go out in the street, you could walk along the street. It wasn't going to be everyone pushing and shoving everyone out of the way. It was comfortable. People would be walking down the street. They socially distanced themselves, but they would be waving and saying hi. I don't think people stop anymore and think about those things. I don't think you find that people move into neighborhoods wanting to meet their neighbors. Everyone sort of has isolated themselves from everyone. It's almost like when you're home, you don't want to have to deal with the outside world. I I think it's a bad thing that that happened. So I agree with you, Rick, that people do stay home a lot more. And it's because they're connected to the outside world through the Internet. And while that's helped us be a lot more efficient and opened up a whole world of information to us, we spend probably too much screen time and we should be spending more face-to-face time, which, of course, we can't really do the way we used to before the pandemic. But I think that in this moment of pause, we're learning that personal relationships are very, very important. And I think people are being a lot kinder to each other. Being social is very, very important and that we just can't take it for granted. When this blows over, if it ever does, while we won't return to what was normal, there will be a new normal. And I hope as a result, it's a much better thing. Yeah, I think the family unit is starting to become a little stronger, which is something that also got lost over the years. Some families, they wouldn't even see this, their siblings or even their sons or daughters, you know, once they got of age and moved away. And I think a lot of families have gotten closer over this time. And I know my family, we were close, but we even got closer during this uh, whole thing. I also think younger families had more time that they could spend with their kids because, you know, we all have a busy lifestyle just because of the way businesses run and people have to 
be so competitive. It gave more people the time to stay home and be with their young families, which is very important. Extremely important. Uh, you know, the family unit has certainly changed over the decades from when you and I, you know, were growing up. And I think it's great that, you know, a young family with children, they're actually able to spend time with their kids and take a break for an hour or two to do a Zoom meeting with their colleagues at work and then spend some time to do some of the work that they have to do and then be able to take a break and go hang out with their son or their daughter. What positive things I see that have come out of this, people have built stronger relationships, whether they're over Zoom or telephone calls, families, making sure your neighbors are okay. I also believe that a lot of people have come to the conclusion that if we don't work together, if we're not all together on this, then we're not going to come through it as well. So I do find people, more and more people trying to work with each other. That's a positive What are some of the success stories that have come out uh, from a business perspective, this new way of working together and meeting with each other for you, the journal and the journal's subscribers and advertisers? One thing that we've always been strong believers at the journal and, you know, going back to Roley Hopkins, connecting with people. We're a company that would like you to meet someone that you would want to meet to help your business. And we're, we're happy to make that connection for you. And, you know, and when we do the webinars and Bill, you've been at uh, a couple of our webinars. I have, we have this, we have this half hour before it and that we do a networking. It's virtual. It's not that one-on-one face-to-face type uh, connection, but it's virtual and we do our best to try to make sure everyone that does attend is wanting to show their face and turn on their audio. Some people are bashful. They don't want to do it, but hey, that's their choice. People have connected through the networking, which I think is fantastic. We also have everyone put their contact information in the chat box during the networking. So if someone is interested in connecting, They can just go through the chat box and they can get all the contact information of almost everyone that is attending that chose to put their information in there. And, you know, we've had stories of people connecting and meeting for coffee. As a matter you were just on the New York City uh, networking and we had Rob Menino of of the Kalka Group, Bill Volka from Metropolitan Realty Group. They were going to meet for coffee you know, after this, and that's a connection that was made. And I, I also think that uh, you and Rob are going to connect. They started a media area of their construction company, and they're doing video and podcasts, and they have a studio there. I was so intrigued by that. I actually spoke up during the networking part, and him and I were having a conversation, so we're definitely going to connect. I have met people on these Zooms that I never would have met. Some of the panelists on the Zooms are iconic people in the real estate industry in New York and New England. And you never would have been invited into their home office or their living room or their kitchen table to listen to them not only tell you about what it is that they're doing during a pandemic, but what has led up to that, how they're handling it, the strategies that they're using to emerge from this victoriously. 
And you never would have been able to have that opportunity to see that conversation with these iconic people in the real estate industry. That's one of the bright spots that's come out of this. Well, before this whole thing, you would have to stand by their living room window and and poke your head in there and look and see what's going on in the house. Yeah, right. And <laughs> and we, yeah, bring, and I think you probably now they I, bring you right in. <laughs> I think it'd probably be a little bit of a <laughs> of a, a police visit from <laughs> and, a, and, yeah. a, and a and a and a stalking restraining order. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and now, now, and, now and, yeah, right but, on film. Yeah, but the cool the cool thing is is after you can send them an email because they usually share that information, right? And you can right, say, you know what, right. I really I really enjoyed your comments, and now all of a sudden you have this relationship with the person that you never would have been able to have before. That's right. Quick little break here, Realty Speak fans, to take a moment to share with you that I love that you choose to listen and learn from Realty Speak. We go deep with so many topics on the show. The result, you get plenty of great information and strategies you can use. And what I learned from my guest as the creator and host of Realty Speak translates to me being the best I can be as a trusted advisor, consultant, and real estate broker. Remember, every transaction is different, and so are you, the people involved. A successful outcome will depend on execution of proper planning, and I welcome the opportunity to listen closely to your desired outcome and then carefully guide you through the process to ultimately achieve your goals. So, if you're contemplating a purchase into your portfolio or a sale out of your portfolio of a building or development site, or you would like to refinance, get a purchase mortgage or construction loan on investment real estate, then feel free to reach out to me. I can help you no matter where you're located. Happy to chat. No transaction required. Call me. The number, 917-232-8529. And all my contact info is on the contact page of my website, BillWidener.com. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. What else can I say? Real estate is in my DNA. And now back to the show. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Connect directory uh, in the journals. It is a great idea for people that would like to have almost uh, a landing page. We'll call it a landing page where it would have all your company information and contact information. It also has a connection to all of your stories and articles that you had published in the journal. Sort of a library for you that people go to to connect. They're looking to find a construction company. Let's say you're in the construction field. So they go through the directory of the connect page and it's all digital. And they click construction company, they get your information, and then they see all these different articles and press releases that will put out on you. Then they can go to all of them and they can read about what you've done, who you've worked with. It's a great information page for people to find other people, find industries that they're looking for and get all the information they might need. It sounds like an incredible resource for people that are looking for new employment opportunities because, of course, during the pandemic, a lot of people are shifting roles, they're shifting companies, and 
you could go to this Connect directory, find out if the company that you would like to court to employ you for a specific role is there. And if it is, you can do all this preliminary research that enable you to be a candidate that completely stands out from everybody else because nobody else has done that research. Yeah, and you get all the information. So you can find their website. You can find their contact information. You can find the stories about people that work in their company, people they have worked with in the past, projects that they have been working on. And if the person did a one-on-one interview with you, that's going to be there as well, right? Right. You connect. You can connect on that. Uh, you know, so there's so much someone can find as opposed to LinkedIn. And I love social media, but to find someone, you really have to know who you're looking for. And you have to know how to find that different person in the category. When you go to look up for a construction company and uh, connect, you'll find a bunch of different construction companies that you can find all their information. You're not going to have to do the kind of research you would need to to find these companies. And you can find all all about them, which is a great tool. So it sounds to me like filtering is much more specific. Yeah, and we've had a lot of success with it. And uh, and I have to say the people that have are in the Connect directory have also had a lot of success with it. That's fantastic. Business model. I want to talk a little bit about business model. And actually, this is probably a good time to talk about uh, the startup that my brother and I started. Just a little interjection here, if you don't mind, Rick. Well, no, Bill. It's all about me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to steal your thunder for a moment. Uh, So so this actually was something that my brother and I wanted to start uh, back in February, March. But of course, that was interrupted. And it actually gave us a little more time to dial it in. There's a law in New York City called Local Law 152, Periodic Inspection of Gas Piping Systems, and it requires the inspection of all buildings with gas and all buildings without gas that are a three-family building or more. So one and two-family dwellings are not included in this law. I don't want to get into a full explanation of what it is, but we created a website, keepmygas.nyc. You can also access it by going to ll152.myc and just takes you to keepmygas.myc. And the website is a place that informs, educates, and facilitates the process to comply with Local Law 152. For all my listeners in New York City, that is something you definitely want to take a look at and share with everyone you know that owns buildings. And that's all kinds of buildings. That's hotels. That's industrial buildings. That's mixed-use buildings. That's apartment buildings. It's retail strip centers. Anything that's got gas and anything that doesn't have gas, and you'll know more about why even the ones without gas have to be inspected when you go to the website, it's probably going to impact between three and 400,000 buildings over the next four years and then every four years thereafter. So take a look. Rick, thank you so much for letting me interject that. Now, let's get back to what you and I were talking about, business model. I want to talk a little bit about the business model and how that's changed. Pre-pandemic and post-pandemic business model, Rick, for the real estate journals. Has anything changed? We have been working harder. Obviously, things changed somewhat, but it's really not a drastic change for us. We do have still people 
wanting to advertise. Actually, we've got quite a few new advertisers during this time. We have had a few that have dropped out because they're either in a panic or, you know, they're they're in a segment of the industry that is not really thriving at this time. So, you know, obviously they have to make their cut. And one thing that the journal has always done, which has always been successful, is that we have different segments that we put into the journal, either weekly or biweekly. We just had one for women in commercial real estate, where it's a segment that just is on women in commercial real estate and had profiles of a lot of the women that are doing well in the industry and also articles and advertisements. Uh, We do it on projects of the month where we have a project that a company is working on and around it will be a lot of the subcontractors that are also involved in this project. Uh, which has always been a great uh, tool because it's not only going into the journal, we're also sharing a lot of that on social media. And it's they also have the ability to share it on their social media. So it, it does work well for them. Uh, you know, so we have a lot of things on that nature that we, that we use as a tool uh, that companies can use as a tool. And they have been, and they've been successful for them so in return, it's successful for us. So, uh, you know, like I said, our model works well. Uh, we're going to continue working that. And we always have different things that we'll add along the way. The webinars that we do, uh, where we used to have that people would just have a, a vendor table at the event. And we would be talking about their company. That We're losing that. So now what do we do? We give them advertising as a sponsor, as opposed to, you know, promoting them at the event. We do promote it during the webinar, but instead of having that vendor table, they'll have an advertisement. And then with the webinars, as opposed to the vendor table, the sponsor's message lives on because now you're recording it as opposed to before when you didn't record the live events and people can go onto your website. They can see those and be exposed to that sponsor over and over again. Well, this has been great so far. Really uh, appreciate being able to talk to you and have our dueling New England and New York City accents. Hope you've enjoyed the dueling accents, listeners. I don't know if people notice that. We could probably say they have. Uh, should we should we give them should we really give them, you know, something that is a phrase that is ubiquitous uh, in each one of our regions. Uh, I know I have one. Bill, I didn't even know I had an accent. Oh, yeah. No, you have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> you have an accent. So is it okay if we do that, Rick? Yeah. Yeah. No, so All right. So, so there's, one, there's one that's ubiquitous in New York that, uh, you know, they even make billboards out of it. So here you go, folks. Forget about it. Now, now it's your turn, Rick. Can you top that? Yeah, they parked the car in Harvard Yard. You got to say that. Yeah, that's perfect. And tell me you're going to Marblehead. Tell me you're going to Marblehead. Marblehead, or you know, I'm going to go to Marblehead. I'm going to get some lobster. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, great, great. I'm going to ask you one more question because our time is coming to a close. And before we sign off, I want to ask you one more question. And by the way, listeners, I, I didn't tell him I'm going to ask this question. So he's going to have to answer it from the hip. 
If you woke up tomorrow and something in the real estate world changed, what do you wish that would be? Well, you know, I have to tell you, my son works with a developer. He just loves the art of the deals. His sights are to be a billionaire. He he works so hard, and I know he'll get to that point. So I, if I woke up tomorrow, the thing that I would want to see changed is I would want to see him achieve his goals of being one of these large developers that has uh, been so successful. Now, that's on a personal side. Uh, if you wanted me to say, what do I, what would I want to see on in the in the industry? That was a beautiful sentiment, and I'm really glad you shared that. So, thank you for sharing that personal side. But yeah, tell me, tell me on the business side as well. We overdevelop. When you go into a lot of the cities and you see all these skyscrapers, people in the real estate industry just build, 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 build. You know, we need to have that open space. We need to be able to enjoy cities and be able to enjoy some of the uh, views of like uh, in downtown Boston. You want that view of Boston Harbor. You know, I, I know when I go into downtown Boston now, where I used to be able to just take a walk on the main roads and parts of the city, you could see Boston Harbor. Now you can't see it unless you actually go right up to the edge of the harbor. Because it's it, the view has been blocked. As far as what I would love is, I, I would love to see some of that slow down somewhat, spread it out maybe. But uh, I don't know if that's ever going to change. Well, you know what? I agree with what you're saying. Number one and number two, I think that a lot of developers would also agree with what you're saying. Because while people want to build, 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 they also want to do it in a way that I think is a little bit different than maybe it was even you know, 10 or 20 years ago, and certainly 30, 40, 50 years ago. And when I look at New York City, I've got Hudson River on one side, East River on the other side, and then New York Harbor to the south. They, they've really done a beautiful job. I mean, with the new South Street Seaport, Hudson River Greenway. I mean, you can ride a bike from the financial district on a bike path all the way up to the George Washington Bridge, uh, which is a fantastic, beautiful ride. Maybe what has to happen is you still build things, but you make sure that you put something between what you build and the natural resources so that everybody gets to enjoy it, not just the people in the high-rise developments that are on these waterfronts and parks and harbors. And thank heaven that the city had the foresight to preserve what is now Central Park because that really is a diamond in the middle of the island of Manhattan. Thanks so much, Rick. This has been unbelievable. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I think the listeners will learn a lot from it, and I'm certainly sure they're going to take a look at the New England uh, Real Estate Journal and the New York Real Estate Journal. Uh, how, if people wanted to get in touch with you, uh, how would they reach out to you, Rick? Well, first of all, thank you, Bill. I appreciate this. It was a lot of fun this morning. Uh, if someone did want to reach out, you can reach me at R, and that's my Boston accent coming out, R Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, at N-E-R-E-J dot com, or you can call 781-878-4540, 
extension 247, and I'll be happy to return your call or your email. And again, thank you again, Bill. And then I guess if people want to go to the New York or the New England Real Estate Journal, they just go to nyrej.com for New York Real Estate Journal or nerej.com for the New England Real Estate Journal. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Great. Great. That'll be in the show notes, Realty Speak fans. Well, Rick, again, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Well, there you have it. Everyone, thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of Realty Speak, the podcast. Please subscribe, and you can do so right on the website. Just go to the podcast page on the website, and there is an opt-in option at the top of the page. Or search Realty Speak on your favorite podcast app, like Podcast Republic, my fave on Android devices, or Apple Podcasts for iPhone. Find it, open it, hit subscribe, and you're in. And please, help Realty Speak grow by sharing the show with others. From the website player, just click share and choose your preferred social media platform. And of course, if you'd like to talk about purchasing, selling, financing investment real estate, access past episodes, or just chat, you can contact me directly via the website at BillWidener.com. And to facilitate compliance with New York City Local Law 152, visit KeepMyGas.nyc. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R dot com and K-E-E-P-M-Y-G-A-S dot M-Y-C. And remember, it's not about us, but how we help you make the bottom line rise. Until next time.